Yo, I'm Shay Serrano. And I'm Brandon Jinx Jenkins. We have a new show called No Skips with Jinx and Shay. In it, we discuss the most unskippable albums in hip-hop history. New episodes drop on Thursdays, only on Spotify. It's the Full Go, presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up, and with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. And right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same game parlays or SGPs as the kids like to call them all on one page plus start betting on the pulse and get paid instantly when you win so download the app today and bet with FanDuel America's number one sports book the ringer is committed to responsible gaming please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details must be 21 plus 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Chicago everywhere, check it. It's not enough Chicago. We just don't have enough Chicago people. Jason Goff is here. Well, I'm at Full Go. The Full Go Podcast. The Full Go. Bears, Bulls, White Sox, Cubs, and Blackhawks. Our man, Jason Goff. Three times a week with Jason Goff. His mood is elevated. He is feeling good. Jason, I'm loving the Full Go. Love the Full Go. The Full Go. The Full Go. Welcome to Full Go with Jason Goff. That is what I'm talking about. Talking about. What up, world? You're listening to The Full Goal with Jason Golf, presented by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Yeah. Had like a, uh, like a weird day off kind of feeling. Usually my days off feel like, all right, it's just one thing I don't have to do. But today actually felt like a day off. I uh, moved around the city, ran some errands like a grown-up, you know? I've been wearing the same contacts for about a seven months now so i figured it was time to go make sure my eyes didn't fall out of my goddamn head uh <laughs> had an interesting uh interesting little jaunt over to the local lens crafters walking down the street uh and you know it's the uh i guess the the gold coast area wherever it is because i was riding around looking for not only a lens crafters but i was looking for what else was i looking for i was looking for something else too um I was just running errands and I'm walking down the street and this lady, I don't have my mask on while I'm walking down the street. I just jumped out the car. I throw it on before I get into any establishment, even though here in the city now, you don't have to have masks on indoors because they just waited for Black History Month to get on up out of here before they allowed all the white people to party the way they really want to. <laughs> but <laughs> shout out shout out to uh, everybody out there going uh, bare naked faced out there uh, on, on, a, you know, on the effects of March 1. Uh, and, and now the mask mandates have dropped and they, they've dropped in... Uh, Several states, right? So we're not the only ones here in the city, uh, in, the, in the state of Illinois. But I'm walking to the lens crafters, getting ready to go get these eyes checked out. And out of nowhere, this young lady just points at me. And I'm like, oh, shit, what's happening here? 
Because usually when that happens, that means I owe you money or, you know, I'm about to get scared with some some news that I really don't want. So she continues to point at me and I go, uh, and I'm standing there kind of frozen, right? Because, you know, a lady pointing at you on the street, you know, you want to take off running. Next thing you know, you're the suspect. So so I look her in the eyes and I go, uh, and she goes, hey, and I'm like, hey, and she goes, I know you. And I'm like, uh, do you watch Bulls basketball? She goes, <laughs> Sports. I'm like, yeah, this is the sports. And then she goes, you're Jason Goff. And I'm like, yes, I am. And then she proceeds because she was on her phone with her husband when she ran into me. And this is what happens. I try to tell Pia, I try to tell any woman that I've ever dealt with in my life over the last 20 years, you never, ever, ever have to worry about the people who listen to me uh, wanting to be with me or me wanting to be with them, to be honest with you, because she only knew me because of who her husband knew. And her husband was a big fan of the Boars and Bernstein show back in the day. And of course, you know, Bernstein and Goff. Uh, and <laughs> she put me on the phone with him. Mind you, I am still trying to go to get in to get my contacts, right? So I have yet to make it inside this lens crafters. They're looking at me from outside thinking like, who the hell is this idiot? You know, why, why is this woman taking, first of all, she wanted to take a selfie. She couldn't get her mask off her her glasses were falling down her face like she was you know she was she was she was a little um she was a little uh, hurried to say the least and I was like, calm down. Everything's cool. A guy walks past, says, I'll take the picture for you. And he starts to take like action shots and shit and like get angles and all this. I'm like, hey, man, what's going on here? So shout out to, I believe her name is Janelle O'Connor because she tagged me on her Facebook post. So shout out to Janelle and her lovely husband, Tom, who I got on the phone with and immediately. You, Tanny, you already know the vibes. Whenever you get a score listener from way back then, they run the whole history down to you. Oh, yeah, I was listening to you when you were a kid, Jason from Evanston. I used to love that you and Maddie kept Bernsey in line. Tanny is so talented. I love him. And I'm just sitting like, it's it's just old home week. Just I'm, I'm outside. It's not too cold. Yeah. Right? Next, next thing you know, it's, they're like, all right, well, it's good talking to you, man. Yeah, <laughs> <that's> ex- <laughs> I, I can't get over the letdown. Like, after all the buildup, I'm sitting here like, hey, man, do you know who the fuck I'm not? Because, like, after this big buildup, I'm like, oh, man, thanks for the support still, I guess. Like, I don't know what to say here. You're like, your your wife is on the phone with you, and she stopped in her tracks to take a picture with me. I don't know how I feel. I have not reached that point in my maturation yet as a man that if he was on the phone with me, and all of a sudden, like, Morris Chestnut or Denzel, and yes, I just compared myself to both Morris Chestnut and fucking Denzel Washington. Valentine's Denzel Valentine? No, yeah. Well, no, no. Listen, now you're being disrespectful. Now you're being disrespectful. Okay? Denzel Valentine, Denzel Valentine, dream he me. He better wake up and fucking apologize. All right? Don't, don't play those games. Today's not the day, Tanny. You know, I've been having these very nice cordial pods, right? It hasn't been crazy, yeah. Jay. It's not, it's not 42 minutes in week one, sweat pouring off my face, Jason, right? This is, I've settled into a nice groove. Don't don't disrespect me calling me Denzel. Shout out to Denzel Valentine, by the way. There's no disrespect. His brother, you know, Drew, shout out to the entire family. I'm a, I'm a fan of Denzel as a dude. He's a, he's, a, he's a really good dude. Had a chance to uh, mix it up with him here in the city. So, ah, where are we at, Danny? Because now here, as the calendar has turned, we are in 
That's right. Football free agency. Yeah, you thought I was going to say baseball, but guess what? Baseball told you to go fuck yourselves. And it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Every once in a while, your sport does that. You know, last time my sport did that, Sean Kemp came back 40 pounds heavier. So, you know, you just... Who, who we, is, we reserve the right to say that back to the sport now. Like, I think that's, oh, you know, baseball. So, it's oh, a feeling yeah. of mutual baseball. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Because I love... Oh, yeah. they they All the union reps got on the phone and like, hey, y'all, the biggest stars who are on this group text, go tweet right now how we trying to save the game and do it for younger players. Ready? Break. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, your favorite, anybody who was hit 25 or more home runs last year was like, hey, guys, we tried. You know, we tried. We're being locked out. This isn't a strike. I want to explain this to you. And, and don't worry, we're going to talk to our guy, Michael Bauman from The Ringer, because guess what? He has a huge piece on the front page. It'll probably... Maybe be there tomorrow when you're listening to this thing, but make sure you go back and check it out after the talk that we have. So, yeah, man, instead of the normal cycles and the normal rhythms of our sporting lives, getting in the the, the mood for baseball, the weather's clearing up a little bit, you know, sunshine a little bit brighter. All of a sudden we're going to do the whole, oh, is it spring forward or is that still a thing, right? It's like, we get like two weeks of that. Next thing you know, it's 95 degrees outside. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we're used to, all right, basketball kind of settling. All right, you got 15, 20 games left, little playoff push. I can I can put my eyes on that. All right, baseball spring training around the corner, providing hope, and that's not here. So we jump right to the combine, right to the draft, right to free agency. And the Bears general manager, Ryan Poles, uh, he, he talked. He had things to say about this roster, uh, about his theories and his ideology, uh, about some some past things as well. I mean, he he spoke about, you know, other drafts that he's watched over the last couple of years and, and where you, you got a player that might be on your board who may help you, but you also got a, a dynamic player. I, I believe he was making the, uh, the comparisons, or not the comparisons, but talking about the situation in Cincinnati with Jamar Chase and Panay Sewell and, and how you get yourself a dynamic offensive talent to go with your quarterback instead of getting the offensive line that you need and boom the the Bengals are right in the Super Bowl while their quarterback's getting sacked 55 60 times but they're in the Super Bowl because of that dynamic playmaker so of course the the comparison could be made to what's happening in Cincinnati to what's happening here in Chicago you got yourself a young quarterback going into year two right now there was no coaching change so that's the biggest difference to me Joe Burrow has essentially spoke the same language the last two years in his offense. This will now be the third different language in three years for Justin Fields, going back to Ohio State and then last year with Matt Nagy and now going forward uh, with Luke Getze and Matt Eberflus and the boys. So this, this that's the biggest difference to me is a, a, a dude getting comfortable in another offense again, right? You're going back to 101 classes again, 100-level classes again. So, yeah, that's the biggest difference between the Cincinnati Bengals situation, of course, and uh, obviously showing up in the Super Bowl <laughs> and, and, and Joe Burrow and Justin Fields' situation. So the Bears don't have themselves a first-round pick. Because they've made some trades over the last few years. They've traded picks away. They traded draft capital away to move up in the draft to acquire players. I mean, Khalil Mack, Leonard Floyd, and of course, Justin Fields don't end up here if you're not willing to trade some future pieces. So that's what's happened. And now the Bears sit with five first-round picks. And Tanny, I, I found it interesting because 
we don't know what Ryan Poles is as a talent evaluator yet, and we're going to find that out. But he also talked about body composition and what he wanted the offensive line to be. And to me, that stuck out the most because as a former offensive lineman, a guy who applied his trade on that side of the football in the trenches, you'd think that there's a certain way that he wants to do things. But he also said that if there's another player out there and an offensive lineman is rated beneath him, then they're going to go fit the need. So let's start with how he spoke on the offensive line and go from there. We're going to change it up a little bit just in terms of the style. So a lot of those guys, and the message has been pretty clear, we got to change body types a little bit. we got to get lighter. we got to get quicker. And through that, I think there's some young talent that just needs to be pressed, and that's part of our job is to create competition and bring the best out of them. So I think we'll do that, and we'll see how, the, if you know, if the cream rises to the top. And, you know, especially with the O-line play, a lot of times, and I don't want to speak for the coaches, but it's going to end up being the best five to roll out there. It's doing things the right way, which oftentimes are hard. Hard. It's hard to do things the right way. Um, I talked about putting the performance team together. You know, we're going to take body fat and weight really, really, really serious, and it's going to be held to a certain standard because we know if we get guys to follow that, and once they see that, they're going to perform better. They're going to play better for us as a team, and they're going to be more successful as an individual. And eventually, we hope then you take your hands off, and the accountability becomes within the locker room. So I think that's big with the players in terms of the scouting. It comes to character gathering information gathering on the players that we're looking at. Uh, We need to know everything so that we're prepared when those players come into the building. We can make sure they're taught the right way. The nutrition is set up the right way. Uh, Our coaches are aware of how they learn best. So again, it just comes down to really setting in stone what we want and then following through on that. There's a lot of football speak in there, but there's some things that stuck out to me. And one of them being the weight. That's important. Because going into a full overhaul of a roster, you got to find the players that are, one, going to fit not only into your system, but are going to be disciplined enough to change who they are and, and show you that I'm willing to compete in whatever system that you find necessary. Now, when Matt Eberflus jumps up on the podium and says, put your track shoes on because we're going to be running, you had a lot of veterans probably rolling their eyes, right? And we talked to Quan Muhammad at the Super Bowl about it. He's like, yeah, that, that you're going to be running. You're going to be in shape messing around with Matt Eberflus. And Ryan Poles seems to echo the same sentiment. So if we're talking about offensive line and getting smaller, getting quicker, right? Is, is, does that make Larry Borm a tackle or a guard, right? What does that say about Tevin Jenkins and how he feels about him going forward after the back issues and the season filled with injury and, you know, some some spotty play. There was some decent moments, some not-so-decent moments, and, of course, some toughness that he showed that obviously was in the scouting report when you drafted him. But this team, it, it, I'm, not, I'm not as worried at offensive line as probably I should be, right? Because it... it James Daniels, who is a free agent, is a guy that you got to you gotta shore up, right? 24-year-old interior lineman who is on the rise. Uh, Cody Whitehair's situation is interesting because I, I feel like they've done Cody Whitehair a disservice these last few years, bouncing him back and forth between guard and center. He's he settled in at guard. So if Daniels and Cody Whitehair are going to be your interior guys, Sam Mustafer, he's shown himself to be a serviceable, you know, sometimes good center. But in the end, I'd love a, an upgrade at that position. Somebody that Justin Fields maybe can grow with. I'm not saying go out and get a center with the number 39 pick in the draft. All I'm saying is I, I think that Sam Mustafer would be better served as, as, a, as a swing interior player. A guy who could play probably both guard positions and the center position. But 
finding out what this team is going to be just by the little glimpses that he gives you and talking about it is very important. If we're talking about a, a zone stretch run kind of vibe, well, yeah, smaller players, attacking gaps, attacking areas, more athletic players at the in that interior line and also on the perimeter, but making sure can, guys can get out, get to that second level and create bigger run plays for David Montgomery and that stable of running backs. And on top of it, if you're going to do a lot of RPO stuff and the real RPO stuff with Justin Fields instead of just, you know, the the 10 or 15 package plays that you want to throw in there. If you're talking about him taking over the offense and, and controlling it and making it his own, well, then you're talking about RPOs that have to get to the second level. You got to get guys. And in the NFL, it's different, right? You can only get, what, like a yard and a half away from the line of scrimmage before you start talking about men downfield as opposed to getting three to five yards downfield when you're in college. So you're going to have to find which guys can create and operate in that space and who can move people. Because in the end, you got to build a football team from the trenches. And it's cliche to say it, but it's it's very real. The times that this team has been good, they've been able to put pressure on a quarterback and, and able to move the chains. And, it, and it's, you know, the turnover game, third down conversions, and what you're doing against the other team's quarterback. And this is very simple. So as Ryan Poles just said, this team is going to get a little bit quicker, a little bit more athletic, maybe a little lighter on the offensive line. So it'll be an adjustment, I think, for Bears fans. And on top of that, Who's he going to get the ball to, right? Justin Fields, if he's upright and you're running RPOs and you're doing all that tricky stuff. Darnell Mooney is, a, is a, I think, an up-and-coming young player who I think has a, a decent ceiling, right? Like, I think Darnell Mooney could be a very good player, but Allen Robinson is a guy who you're not going to tag twice, right? You're not going to do that to Allen Robinson. And on top of it, Allen Robinson didn't seem like he wanted to play here at the end of the year last year. I'm just going to keep it funky with y'all. There were too many times, if you go back and listen to those back pods from, from the NFL football season with the Bears, I said too many times down the stretch that, eh, there's a certain guy out there that I, I don't want to say he's jaking him. I don't want to say he's quit on the team, but for whatever reason, Allen Robinson did not look as interested as he had looked in previous years. And of course, if you're not getting the football, that's going to be the case. But I didn't see the blocking that I used to see out of Allen Robinson, and I just didn't see the, the, the battling and the, and the competition. And that's why Darnell Mooney, I think, became Justin Fields' number one target. That and Justin Fields was getting no first-team reps in the beginning of his uh, you know, training camp process, so he built a rapport with Darnell Mooney. But Allen Robinson seemed to be unhappy this season, and from the contract extension that never came to the franchise tag to the significant reduced targets in 2021, uh, Ryan Poles was asked, how do you begin to amend a complicated relationship with a player who was supposed to be one of the team's biggest stars? Yeah, I think... It's communication. It's, you know, establishing that, you know, things are going to be a little bit different. And that's a that's a tough one to answer specifically. But I think it's more of a, a fresh start for everyone. I think through our moves and the staff we've put together, I think it shows that. Is it safe to presume he's not going to be tagged the second time? You know, I'm not there right now. Um, so we're just going to keep working through that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's safe to assume it. Unless you want a disgruntled, aging, uh, declining asset at wide receiver making, what is it, the, uh, the, the average of the top five players at his position? No, nah, because the second tag is top five in the league, no, right? If I'm not mistaken, or is that the third tag? I think it's the second tag is that way. So yeah, man, I don't think I'm going to be paying Allen Robinson to be old and upset, right? Like, shout out to you. It's time for you to go take that to a team 
They can use that, those talents, use those weapons. Hell, you know, the L.A. Rams is not going to have Odell Beckham for a little bit. Go out there and try to run it back with those dudes. You know, I, I, I like Allen Robinson as a dude from the things that I've heard about him. I just, at the end of last season, I don't think he put on his best professional face, if I could keep it as PC as possible in that, in that realm. Uh, there weren't many bright spots on the field for the Bears in 2021, but one player specifically stood out for Ryan Poles. Bright spot was was Mooney. As guys have come in to work out, we've had the opportunity just to introduce each other, and and he stopped in, and I was like really blown away by the person. He's got a quiet confidence about him, and he's hungry to be special. I'm always looking for guys that like they just keep rise, they keep raising their own bar in terms of where they want to go. That he wants to be special, and you can feel that in him. And I think we've all been around people that like they just. They want to be the absolute best that they can be, and it's contagious, and it, it gives you energy. It gives you hope that, you know, well, really, and it shows me we got to keep getting guys like that and keep adding them to the roster because if everyone has that mentality and they start pushing each other, then all of a sudden the team starts to raise the bar and the standard and make, you know, then it's wins and it's the division and then it's going for championships. I'm going to tell you right now, if I'm Darnell Mooney, I'm sitting at the crib like, stay healthy. Stay healthy. When you got the boss man talking that kind of talk, yeah, stay healthy, ride out these next couple of years and get your money, player. I mean, it, showing up to work is one thing, but showing up to work and the boss um, singing your praises in that re- in that way, it means something. And and it should mean something because Darnell Mooney was a fifth-round pick. A, a guy was like, all right, we'll see what you got here. And then all of a sudden, he started making plays, plays after play after play. And after the weeks stuck stacked up, that dude was sitting as the leading receiver on your team, on a team, by the way, that didn't have any stability or pre- premium quarterback play, right? Like, whether it be Andy Dalton, Nick Foles, Justin Fields, whoever was out there, everybody was kind of spotty. I, I think we could all agree on that. So for Darnell Mooney to go out there as a young player and have the season that he did, I think the Bears do have themselves a bright spot. Uh, I do believe, though, he is a really, really, really excellent number two. And these days, you know, what is the number one is like maybe eight or nine of them in the league. And then the rest of the guys fall into, you know, damn good football players who can who can win a matchup for you at any moment. Of course, everybody's got their uh, assorted strengths and weaknesses. But, you know, am I putting him to the level of, you know, DeAndre Hopkins and all these other cats? Nah, I'm not going to do that to him. You know, is he uh, is he Cooper Cup? Nah. You know, is he is he one of those guys? I don't think so yet. Can he be? I hope so as a Bears fan. But if he's not, I'm not going to be disappointed because I, I think that this dude is one of those cats who's going to max out every bit of his talent. As you heard from the GM just now, uh, he, he's he's making his presence known in an offseason that is very, very important, not only for the Bears, but of course for him. All right, so you got one wide receiver who may or may not return, and your biggest bright spot is a guy who's probably not a number one option for Justin Fields. So wide receiver is probably the biggest point of emphasis for Ryan Poles heading into the draft. Poles discussed what are the things he was looking for at the wide receiver position while also trying to develop a young QB. Always keeping in mind guys that can help him and how he can help them as well, but it's the support for that player. What does he play well with? What is what does the offense need for him to perform well? Um, and also looking at historical information of what has helped second-year quarterbacks be successful as well. So all of that comes into play. They come in different shapes and sizes and speeds. I think it comes down to playmakers. I think we saw that in the Super Bowl. Guys that can make plays when their number's called. And, and that's what we look for. And you can see that on college tape. 
And then I will say one of the benefits of the combine is you get to see some of the physical traits as well. What sets them apart? Is it size? Is it length? Is it explosion? Is it speed? So we'll put all that together. But I would say that boils down just to being a playmaker. I think a lot of the, the really good quarterbacks, especially the young ones, when things go crazy, who can they go to that they trust and that's dependable that can make plays? So we're just trying to keep an eye on that as well. Listen, you don't need me to tell you, if you're a Bears fan, all of this comes down to number one. If he's good, then this thing is okay. If he's rocky or average, we're back where we started. And this, this is not just an important season for him. This is an important offseason. Uh, making that transition from the college game to the professional game at that position is as tough as any sport will present to you, whether it be a starting pitcher, a, a young shortstop, uh, you know, a, a rookie center in, in hockey or a rookie goalie in hockey or in basketball, being the number one pick and having the weight of a franchise on your shoulders at 20 years old, 21 years old. This job that Justin Fields has for this franchise in this city is as tough a job as you'll have in the NFL. So this offseason is very, very important and not just important, but it's imperative that all the right things are coming out about Justin Fields as he heads into training camp. Because there's enough people, I won't say a lot, I won't say most, but there are enough people who are doubting him, not just around the league, but in this city. So if Justin Fields is the guy that I think he's going to be, sounds like Ryan Poles is getting ready to put all the draft capital he possibly can. Those five picks, I'd be surprised if more than one of them was defensive. You know, maybe you go out there and snatch a linebacker. Maybe you snatch a safety in the later rounds. But, you know, with those first few picks, I think we're talking wide receiver and offensive line for the Chicago Bears, right? You got number 39, you got number 71, 146, 148, and the number six has uh, yet to be established yet, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, 39 and 71, those are two guys that got to start for this team or be very important in the rotation, whether they're wide receiver or at offensive line. Those are two guys that have to make sure that Justin Fields is scoring touchdowns and kicking field goals and not and not punting and turning the ball over. This is this is it. This is what it feels like to be a number one quarterback, right? And and you don't have to worry about going into the offseason with all the BS of Andy Dalton being promised to start or being having to fight it out with Nick Foles in the training camp. No, they're going to talk that competition jazz. No no doubt about it. But in the end. Justin Fields is going to get everything put in position for him to succeed. We'll find out what kind of success that'll be, and we'll find out what kind of talent evaluator Ryan Poles is. But in the end, this draft, once again, is about Justin Fields. We'll be back with more of the full goal with Jason Goff. After a word from our sponsors. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. first two series of the regular season and those games are officially canceled. We're prepared to continue negotiations. We've been informed that the MLBPA is headed back to New York, meaning that no agreement is possible until at least Thursday. As such, camps could not meaningfully operate until at least March 8th. 
leaving only 23 days before the scheduled opening day. The clubs and our owners fully understand just how important it is to our millions of fans that we get the game on the field as soon as possible. To that end, we want a bargain and we want an agreement with the Players Association as quickly as possible. This is the Full Go Podcast with Jason Gaw, brought to you by The Ringer. And we have the pleasure of being joined by Michael Bauman, who wrote a terrific piece uh, for The Ringer on what's going on with the Major League Baseball labor negotiations, the CBA, the lockout. Uh, headline, opening day is canceled. MLB has no one to blame but itself. And we've been saying this on this pod for a little bit. And in a time where people are coming out of COVID, even though COVID is still around us and uh, the summer is allowing people to move a little bit freer and with less restriction. Baseball is in a tough spot right now trying to figure out how important it is or how important it's not and maybe finding out how important it's not with this uh, labor strife that they're in. This part of your piece stuck out to me the most, my man. And, you know, I have a fond... I have a fondness for writers and I can't do it, could never do it. And when you string words together like this, it, it, it hits a spot for me. You said this is not an ir- irreconcilable conflict of philosophy, nor a necessary belt tightening brought on by mysterious economic forces. This is a group of, in Tyon's words, guys who are willing to shut down a historic corner of American culture until they are able to profit as much as they desire. Those are heavy words, man. If I'm a baseball fan and I'm hearing that because, you know, I, I grew up a casual baseball fan and got into the sport more as as I you know grew in the business a little bit. But my baseball guys and gals, right, are, are out here hurting and it doesn't have to be this way. So break it down for me, Mike, from start to finish. Why are we here? Well, I mean, there's a long version and a short version. The The long version starts with, baseball's economic system ever since the start of free agency has been set up to pay players more the longer they go into their careers. So you make very, very little money in the minor leagues, as I'm sure you know, and then you make the minimum salary or close to it for the first three years of your career. Then you get into arbitration, you get progressive raises, you start making a million dollars a year for the first time. And then you really cash in if you last six years to free agency. Mm -hmm. And during the statistical revolution, uh, you know, Moneyball and things of, things of that nature, we learned that players peak earlier than previously thought. So teams over the past, you know, gradually over the, over the past 15 years, but definitely in the past five, have realized they can just not take the second half of that bargain. They can, and on top of that, they've realized, you know, there are rules about, you know, Chicago people know, about this as well as anybody because of the Chris Bryant situation. Yes, sir. You know, Service so, time manipulation, uh, yeah, baby. Yeah, I don't need to go into all the details, but all of that has led to the erosion of the player's share of revenues as revenues have exploded. Um, up until the pandemic, uh, MLB set, I think it was 17 revenue records in a span of 18 years. And over that time, the player's share of revenue after the strike fell to a little more than half, fr- from a little more than half to into the 30%. Um, just because the incentives were not aligning with, uh, with when players are most productive. And on top of that, we've got teams being sold to private equity firms. Uh, you know, the Marlins, these are the people who are tanking American newspapers, who are mm-hmm. tanking retail. You know, every industry that you read a CNBC article about millennials are killing, 
this these are the people who are actually killing those industries. And so they've turned their attention to baseball because it's hugely profitable. There's almost no financial risk. And it made it an attractive uh, proposition for people who, you know, there's a new class owner who doesn't care about getting into it to win. They just want to cash revenue sharing checks and grow the value of their business. And they've been incredibly successful. Uh, and Rob Manfred, the commissioner, is sort of the avatar for these types of people. Um, and the players, after getting their teeth kicked in uh, time and time again in CBA negotiations, uh, have finally had enough of it. Like, I thought the last CBA in 2016 was a pretty good deal for the players if the owners had operated it as intended, and they didn't. And the players, you know, free agency basically froze for three years. Mm. Um we saw a lot of a lot more acrimony than needed to be because the owners were trying to get players to take an undue share of the financial burden during the pandemic. And, you know, you see this with the way the players talk, James and Tyon, who I mentioned in the article, you know, it's part of a long tradition of a pitcher. You know, he was recruited into union leadership by Garrett Cole when they were Pirates teammates, you know. And so this is just all a snowball. And with all that being said, I think things could be a lot worse, you know, just based on the movement over the past 72 hours or so. Uh, you know, I'm looking at this like this is obviously a huge deal. It's the first time baseball has lost regular season games to a labor dispute since the strike, which was a dramatic, yeah. you know, I've been a baseball guy my entire life. That was my one of my first memories was losing the World Series to to the strike. And, you know, oh, that's don't not worry. something we in Chicago as White Sox fans remember yeah. that, too. You would. And so not to downplay the the historic implications of what happened this afternoon, but uh, you know, I think that there's so much bad blood, there's so much ground to be made up, and there's so many problems with the economic structure of the, of the game that um you know, I almost think we're we're fortunate as an industry that that uh these two sides aren't farther apart than they are. So I want to ask you about the competitive balance tax and how it's kind of worked sure. as a salary cap where players union don't want a salary cap, max max salaries or something that basketball players right now bristle about, even though the, the numbers are exorbitant. Is you know, LeBron James is worth more than $40 million a year to the Los Angeles Lakers and to the NBA, right? But they have different uh, concessions that, that have been made. When it comes to the, the competitive balance tax, how big an issue is that in this lockout as opposed to service time manipulation. And of course, I guess declining payrolls go hand in hand with that and free agency. And of course, like you mentioned, relying on young, cheap talent uh, the first three or four years of their career and then stalling them out afterwards. I think at this point, it's the biggest issue, both in terms of where that threshold is and where and, and how heavily it gets penalized. And this was one of the few reasons that I'm optimistic that we're going to have a season at all. It's the league finally backed off higher penalties that it proposed uh, on taxing overages for the, the CBT. But it, it's a de facto salary cap. That's the way that most teams have, have decided to treat it. And we've had some version of this for decades now. And you'd see, well, just the Yankees pay over or the Red Sox or the Dodgers or the Phillies or, you know, whichever it's big assumed. market. Yeah. yeah, you know, or the Cubs or whichever big market team is making a run at, at a time. And and now we've seen teams like the Yankees and the Dodgers, uh, the Red Sox, after they had one of the best seasons of the 21st century in 2018, treat this as not we need to figure out how to make the numbers work so we can keep our competitive team together, but how to massage the roster 
in order to get below this tax threshold. And we, you know, the most catastrophic example is the Red Sox trading Mookie Betts and David Price a couple of years ago. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, Mookie Betts, the second best player in the world, was a tax casualty for the Red Sox, which is, Crazy. I mean, that that just speaks volumes to, um, for uh, the way teams and like this is not like. It just it bears repeating. This is not like the Kansas City Royals. Like this, this is the Red Sox operating like this. The Yankees and the Dodgers, and and so there are some teams that will spend right up to the threshold. There are some teams that'll tickle it and go a little bit over. It's very rare to see more than one team just blow past that threshold every year now. And uh, you know the the numbers as well as the norms around free agent spending, I think are going to determine a lot of the the next five years of baseball from a labor and economic perspective, but also from a, a competitive standpoint. You know, how willing teams are going to be to go up to and beyond this threshold uh, in order to compete. As a kid, I remember watching, you know, Andy Vance, like Bobby Bonilla and Barry Bonds run around for the Pittsburgh Pirates, right? And then I realized that the Pittsburgh Pirates would never be that again. At some point in my baseball fandom as a young adult, right, where the Chris Benson era and, you know, like, oh, OK, they're just going to get the number one pick every other year and hopefully they'll be able to, uh, to, to, to fill in the pieces. Are we in danger of making sure that small market teams can't have sustained success without having brilliant management? Is, like, is that healthy for a game? You know, is it is it is it? Uh, because, you know, you could go to the NBA and watch the San Antonio Spurs because they drafted, you know, Tim Duncan and Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker run roughshod over the league for 15 years and have one of the great dynasties in NBA history in that market. Uh, are we so far away from that in baseball that it's not even a conversation anymore? Or can it be can it be that once again? So uh, that's a great question. And. I hope you don't mind if I take a, no, a minute to, it, to answer it properly. Because uh, like, I don't know if you know about this pod, Michael, but uh, we, we, time is not uh, okay, significant good. in this situation. Yeah. <laughs> so the thing about small market teams is baseball is so profitable right now, and it's and revenues are so divorced from what you actually get at the gate. And you know, so between national TV revenue, sponsorship, revenue sharing, which props up a lot of the small market teams that you're talking about, a team will clear $100 million in revenue without selling a ticket or a hot dog or a jersey or cashing a check from, in in a lot of cases, without cashing a check from a regional sports net. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but something like a third of the league at least doesn't even pay that much for players. I just, the number that I have to to hand because I was writing about this was the the Marlins spent $55 million on player payroll last year. and so you like the gap from from the Mets who are the had the biggest payroll in baseball last year to even what's sustainable for a mid market team is not that big. And then okay. you bring into bring into it that the gap between between the very rich and what's sustainable for mm-hmm. for a small to medium market team is not that big. And then you bring into it the like how do we see that we see this in, in all kinds of sports. How do we get a how do we become a successful franchise. Right. One thing that always gets people in the door, always gets local interest, no matter the sport, no matter the city, is winning. And if you win, you're going to sell a lot of tickets. You're going to be able to afford not just a $100, $120 million payroll, but a $180, $200 million payroll. And so you know, that's one part of the equation. The other thing is 
the Tampa Bay Rays in, in 2020 were the top seed in the American League. They had an incredible, you know, they went to game six of the World Series. Right. They gave the Dodgers, who were outspending them four to one, everything they could handle. Uh, they were a great team. I loved watching them. They were, you know, just so much fun. And they, they could have to that roster that they assembled, they could have added Manny Machado and Bryce Harper on their current salaries and not reached the MLB average payroll. That's, that's how crazy. that's that's how cheap they were. That's how cheap those owners were. And so, you know, it's not that big a stretch to go from that and think about, you know, they're throwing okay players. Like, you know, if, but imagine if like instead of Manuel Margot in right field, they had had Harper. This is a team that ran out of gas in the World Series because they couldn't score runs. Do you think having Bryce Harper instead of Manuel Margot in right field would have right. done anything to change that? Right. So, you know, this is self-defeating, even for the small market teams that do have really good front offices. And the Rays are better, better at this than just about anybody. Um, but even for small, small market teams that are competitive, that figure out ways to, to turn their roster over and to, you know, to keep themselves out of long-term financial commitments, there's a limit to what you can achieve. And so, you know, it's just, it's annoying as a, a fan of the game and someone who wants to, you know, see 30 competitive teams out there, if possible. It's, you know, I'm not blind to the economic realities. If anything, I think the economic reality is it's easier for for small market teams to compete than most people realize. So there's a, a, a two-word phrase that's been thrown around over this last week or so. And it happened, you know, back in the 90s when Donald Fear was saying it. Irreparable damage uh, to the game. You as a fan, longtime fan, observer, cover this thing, write about this thing, love it, think about it, dream about it day and night. You're a baseball fan. What kind of damage can be done to not just you, the hardcore fan, but also the casual fan? What, what are we looking at right now that we won't see the ripples or the, the impact two or three or four years from now from? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the whole proverbial ball game. Is So I think if if we lose... Right now, we're set to lose a week. It'll probably be more. If we lose a month or six weeks, I don't think that's going to be that big a deal. The NFL bounced back from a lockout. The NBA bounced back from a lockout. The NHL bounced back from, you know, its third lockout in, in <laughs> 20 years. But it, it it won't make that big a difference. But I I think back to, but just to bring bring the hockey example back, there's a famous Sports Illustrated cover from the early 90s about how the N- the NHL this is the height of, you know, Mario Lemieux, Wayne Gretzky, and, you know, him playing in LA, saying that, that hockey had overtaken basketball in the United States. And think about that and think about that a year later, the NHL locked out its players. 10 years after that, the NHL canceled an entire season. They signed a bad media rights deal. They locked out the players again. Where is hockey now? Where is basketball now? And as just a, as a doomsday scenario, you know, I think about baseball, I think still considers itself a national pastime, even though it's at best uh, in third place among American team sports right now. And I think there mm-hmm. is that downside. I don't think it's likely that something that bad happens, but it's a possibility that, that definitely worries me. Uh, well, hopefully it doesn't continue too long because I would definitely love to have you back on to actually talk about the games, you know, yeah. <laughs> talk about the pitching and the hitting and the I'd love nothing better. Yeah, yeah. I, I got to ask you about my White Sox and talk to you about Chicago Cubs baseball as well, you know. And also, I, I, when next time you come on, 
I want to ask you, did Theo Epstein ruin baseball? Because I, I'm reading that a lot lately, that this is because of Theo. In the end, like you mentioned, because you mentioned Moneyball too, in the end, all this happened because of Theo and Kevin Euclid and, and Jonah Hill. So hmm. we'll put it on those three guys in the conversation that we have next time. Michael, thank you so much for giving us some of your time. I know it's late on the East Coast. I appreciate you, brother. My pleasure. Anytime. There it is. Michael Bauman from The Ringer joining us here on the Full Go Podcast with Jason Goff. Time for some commercials. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sometimes you need you need adversity versus versus challenge to understand and really see what you're made of and you know how hard it, it really is to win winning this league. You know, it's, it's one thing to be good, it's another thing to really win. You know, and, and we see it when we play against a team like tonight. Um, well coached, um, Jill played together. You know, just two years ago they was in the finals. You know, um, so we learn a lot from that. Guys do, you know, um, everybody, you know, once we walk in that locker room, everybody upset with the loss. So with that, everybody understand how we need to respond. You know, everybody eager just to watch film, get back in the gym and figure out how we can fix this. Hey, Bulls fans, Billy Donovan ain't fucking playing with y'all. He's tired of everyone running around acting like the Bulls are the 92 Bulls reincarnate, Right. The man came out of the All-Star break talking that jazz like, we ain't good enough. Shut your mouth with all these game winners and DeMar DeRozan scoring 35 a game and doing it on 50-plus percentage. Guess what? Don't matter. We ain't good enough. And you know what? He's right. You know, I always said this. You never escape competition. You're just never escaping it. It doesn't really make a difference how many years you've been in the league, what you're being paid. Uh, if you're an All-Star, not an All-Star, when the ball gets thrown up at a half quarter, all that stuff's out the window. You know, guys are just competing. That's the beauty of it. And you know, every competitive game's got kind of like its own life and history and, you know, life its own. So we have to, to your point, if it does get in our head, then we can't become the team that we would like to become. Just that's not going to happen. But we're going to have to take this on, you know, and I and I, I like because I just don't – I've said this before. If you really want to win big, you're not going to win big without going through some, some some hardship. I don't know anybody that's ever won big. So, yeah, just like I just really worked hard and just smooth sailing, and I just got where I wanted to get to. So I I like that part because I just think that struggles, adversity, challenges ultimately help you grow into who you want to be individually, you know, as a player, a person, and also helps you I think grow as a team. So we have to go through this and we have to confront it. And we have to get better at it. And you know, again, it's. Right into a back-to-back, you know, Atlanta and then Milwaukee, and Philly. So, I mean, it's coming. I think everybody knows what our schedule is. And like I said, coming out of the break, these, I think these situations, the schedule, it's good for us. I just think that we have to go through that. The last thing I'd want, to, want, want us to do is have a full sense of reality of who we are. We have, we have to face the reality of the areas that we got to get better because there's a light shined on right now. That is Billy Donovan telling all Bulls fans – all Bulls organizational members, all Bulls players, 
Get your goddamn mouth shut. It's as simple as that. Get your mouth shut and get ready for the playoff push because this is what it's going to look like. This is what it's going to feel like. What are the Bulls? 0 and 11 against the top Western Conference teams? Something sick like 2 and 6 or something like that against the top Eastern Conference teams ahead of them? Well, not just ahead of them, but the Bucks of the world, the Brooklyn Nets of the world, uh, the, you know, uh, the, the, the Cavs they struggle with, all right? The Miami Heat have beat them now three times. And that Miami Heat game, feel however you want to feel about Jimmy Butler, because I do. But that Heat team is what the Bulls are trying to become in terms of toughness. And Billy's been, for two years now, I won't say dancing around the, tough, the toughness conversation, because he's actually talked about it head on. But he's done it in a way that's comforting, right? That's warm, right? That's direct and stern, responsible but not audacious, right? This dude has been talking about toughness in little little increments throughout this season. And not just physical toughness, but your experiential toughness. Like, what have you been through to get you ready for what you're about to go through? And there's too many people on this roster that haven't been through it. DeMar DeRozan had deep playoff runs, right? But other than that, it's Tristan Thompson and Alex Caruso. So you got a bench dude and a dude who just joined the team. You got a lot of guys up and down this roster who have never played primetime basketball. Zach Levine has been in the league for eight years. One dunk contest, been an all-star now twice. Never played a playoff game. Up until this year, had won four straight games in a row. So Billy Donovan's like, yeah, get your mouth shut. Let's, let's find out where you're at with it. All the bitching and bellyaching to the refs, right? Talking about the drop defense as opposed to blitzing the pick and roll. Stop somebody either way. And I'll, I continue to say this. If it is just incumbent upon Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso, then everything will be fine. But it ain't that. And on top of that, those dudes are coming back from injuries. Hell, Lonzo Ball's coming back from a surgery. So who knows how long it's going to take for him to get up to speed. You're counting on a rookie in Ayo DeSumo. You're counting on a guy in Zach Levine who's dealing with a back, just got finished dealing with a thumb, and is probably going to be dealing with that knee for the foreseeable future. And if you didn't notice the last couple of games, DeMar DeRozan, yeah, he wasn't going to shoot 50-plus percent and score 35-plus points per game for the rest of the season. That wasn't going to happen. At some point, the streak was going to have to stop. But those legs are going to have to get a little bit, you know, refreshed. I, I wouldn't be surprised if DeMar DeRozan misses a game or two here in this last 21 games. You got to get him ready for the playoff push. But yeah, Bulls fans, everybody's worried about who's saying what. Oh, the national media is saying this, but we're saying this. Well, guess what? The damn coach is telling you what it is. And the damn coach has been telling you what it is. This team is very good. In order for this team to be excellent or great, there are a few things that have to happen in a short amount of time with not a lot of practice time. And if I was a betting right, man right now, right, I, I jump on FanDuel, right, and I, I say, ah, if I, the Bucks, people sleeping on the Bucks. Reigning champions, nobody's talking about them the way they do every, you know, once a week, Giannis goes off for 35 and 17 and eight assists and three blocks. You're like, oh, yeah, that is Superman up there in Milwaukee. Miami, you may have a little bit of reluctance because Jimmy Butler's their best player. And with Jimmy Butler being your best player, how far can you truly go? But Bantam Adebayo got four to six weeks because of that thumb to keep those legs fresh and healthy. And now he's playing like a defensive player of the year. My bet is still with Mikael Bridges, or my my pick, I should say, would be still with Mikael Bridges. But I wouldn't be mad if Bam Adebayo got it. 
the plays that he made against the Bulls, not many centers are making those plays. That dude hedged hard on a pick and roll, got back to meet Nikola Vucevic at the rim on a, on a lob. Like, those are the things. The Miami Heat, when people talk about the Heat culture, we, we just throw it out there as this catch-all. But Heat culture is really specific if you really want to talk about it. Certain ways that you guard pick and roll. There's a certain body mass index that you have to not only come into the season with, but you also have to maintain throughout the season. So all the people who think they're just going to go down to Miami and kick it, drink, gain, you know, liquor weight and, and, and try to sweat it off. Nah, the, the, the Miami Heat are about that life. And Pat Riley is about that life. And that's why Jimmy Butler went there. Because Jimmy Butler is going to need guys around him that's working just as hard as him So shortly before he alienates them. And that's what they've installed. And that's the way they play. They added P.J. Tucker to an already, uh, you know, high-caliber defensive squad. Tyler Hero got his swagger back, right? Tyler Hero's out here playing like most improved player slash six-man of the year slash Tyler Hero again instead of what we saw last year after his fame coming out of the bubble. That team has gotten its mind right. And, and no, I'm not picking the Heat to come out of the East, but that's a team that you might have to go through. So Billy Donovan is saying that right now, a lot of people, oh, regular season games, one out of 82. You know, this is a, it's, it's not a barometer, but when they beat a good team, you can't wait to tell me how, how impactful and how, um, how quality it is. When they went to L.A. and beat the Clippers and the Lakers, people were back here throwing parades. Well, guess what? Both the Clippers and the Lakers are ass right now. I'm watching the Lakers be down 49-36 to to the Dallas Mavericks with six minutes to go in the second quarter and getting booed off the court in the previous games. So yeah, times change, things change, but what doesn't change is the toughness and the mentality that I think that Billy Donovan is trying to impart upon his team. And it's, like I said, not just physical toughness. There's a few times last night where Billy Donovan mentioned scouting report things weren't adhered to, pushing pick and rolls to a certain way, um, closeouts and their closeout integrity not being to his shoulder but being directly into the center mass of the man so you could foul a jump shooter, right? Those little things, they add up to big things. That's why the Pat Rileys and the Eric Spolsters of the world, they get a certain kind of player, they cultivate a certain kind of player, they develop a certain kind of player because there's a certain style of play they're trying to employ. And the Bulls, who have been dealing with injuries. Don't get me wrong. They've been dealing with injuries. They've dealt with COVID, all those things. But guess what? The rest of the league has too. And more importantly, the rest of the league don't give a shit. So do I need to see the Bulls go on some crazy run against the top teams in the East or the top teams in the West in this last 20 games or so? No, because guess what? You still ain't going to find out what you need to find out. The stage is not going to be set until the playoffs start. And that may seem obvious, but all this consternation and this back and forth about what people are saying about the Bulls and what should I really trust about the Bulls and should I put it all on injuries or should I put it on fatigue or should I put it on the fact that this team might not be good enough? You're going to find out. Playoffs going to show you. And that's what Billy Donovan is telling not only the fans, but more importantly, the players that he's coaching. He knows exactly what they hear. He knows how he's supposed to talk in those post-game pressers. If you listen to Billy Donovan after losses, after certain losses, you know, he'll, he'll accentuate some positives, but there's a, a laundry list of things that he probably knew going into the game they were going to struggle at, and he probably told them they were going to struggle at it, and then they struggled. So now the lessons have been learned. You're on the other side of the All-Star break, and now the playoff push is going to happen. But this ain't yesteryear's all-star breaks where you're messing around at 45, 50 games into the season. No, a lot of teams is 57, 58, 59 games when they hit the all-star break. So the last few weeks of this season, 
is all about playoff positioning in an Eastern Conference where five games separate one through six. You can mess around and have yourself Philadelphia 76ers, Brooklyn Nets first round matchup. Right? You can mess around and watch these Celtics, you know, overtake you if you don't, if you don't uh, get your mind right. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen for the Chicago Bulls, but what I am saying is if you're a fan and you're worried about the Stephen A. Smiths of the world or the Ryan Russillos or the Bill Simmons or this one or that one, the national media that's talking about your team, worry about what the coach is saying. He's telling you right now what it is and what it ain't. Billy Donovan has seen enough, and I'm sure he's harping on it. And I'm sure, and, and watch these dudes' body language too, because I think DeMar DeRozan has hit a little bit of a, I won't say a, a mental wall, right? But the last two games, he hasn't, and it's not just shot making. Last two games, he hasn't really moved the way that you used to seeing DeMar move. I mean, he's gotten a couple of technicals. He got kicked out of a game a, a couple of games ago. Like, you know, the, I, I think the, the season, you know, it's an 82-game season, but I think the season wears on different people at different times. This dude had to carry this team in a stretch of nine or ten games like we haven't seen in the NBA's history. And it was only cut in half by the All-Star break, where you got to go and have all the sponsorship obligations and represent as an All-Star and be proud that you got back as a starter in that game. So I think right now, mentally and also physically, keep an eye on DeMar DeRozan, Physically, keep an eye on Zach Levine. Io DeSumo bounced back from a bad game the night before against John Morant and then went into the Miami game. Had a decent offensive game, but nobody really played well. But there are a few things to keep your eyes on. And for everybody worrying about who's saying what, all you got to do, as always, is listen to the coach. The Full Goal with Jason Goff. That's all the time we have for episode 71, The Full Go. We will return Thursday night after the Bulls square off against the Atlanta Hawks in Atlanta. MLB players and owners will get back to the bargaining table and hopefully we'll have all the latest news on when we may begin to see players report to spring training. Don't forget, you can hit us up on the Full Go voicemail line, 773-359-3103. 773-359-3103. I was riding around today thinking about some topics. I was going to ask the people the moment that you laughed at yourself at how broke you were and what you did to get out of that moment. Because um, Lord knows there's been many a times where I've been waiting for that midnight direct deposit in the middle of a club, knowing damn well I couldn't afford the bar tab. So stuff like that is what you'll be answering over the next couple of weeks at 773-359-3103. And if you got anything on your mind, you could just drop us a line at the Full Go voicemail line. We want to say thank you to Michael Bauman for his terrific piece that he wrote uh, for The Ringer on Major League Baseball doing this to itself and also coming on here and expounding on that topic. So we appreciate you, Michael. As always, our production staff, ah, the shadowy figure, the man himself, Steve Cerruti, my main man, Chris Tannehill, and the always active Jesse Lopez. For the fellas, we thank you for listening to this podcast, downloading it, sharing it, subscribing it, and rating and reviewing it. We appreciate you so much for everything that you do for this thing that we do. This is the Full Gold Podcast with Jason Garth, brought to you by The Ringer and Spotify is the gang. As always, we leave you with this. Take care of each other and be safe.